listening to the Retail Perch with Shaker Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Hey, folks, uh, welcome back to another amazing episode of the Retail Perch. And uh, today we're back with our uh, you know, usual co-host here, Gary. Hi, Gary. How are you doing? Shaker, great. Thank you. Yeah, and I'm telling you, Stephanie did a great job standing in. I'm telling you, your, your job's under threat, Gary, all right. seriously. All right, all right. I better step up my game. I'm telling you, you know, so Steph did a fantastic job last week, but uh, we're back also with one of our favorite guests on the show, uh, Mary Simone. Mary, how are you? I'm good, Taker. How are you? Terrific. And thanks uh, for jumping on this in short notice. Uh, but you know, just so you know the stats, Mary, episodes that feature you have the highest level of engagement. So I don't know if it's your voice or your content or what it no is. No pressure. Yeah, I don't know either. But you know, you know what? People tired of listening to Gary and me. They're like, okay, finally a refreshing voice. So it might be just that I'm female. <laughs> yeah, could be, could be. Yeah. Anyway. So anyway, great to have you back. And I guess uh, today we're going to have an interesting discussion, folks. It's it's kind of go back to data and talk about uh, some things that uh, we see retailers struggle with and solutions that could help them out. So um, with that, I'll kind of let Gary kick the topic off and then we'll kind of grow organically here. If By the way, if you guys have any questions and you want us to cover specific topics, Feel free to reach us, reach us at the retail purchase You can also, we also have a website so you can go there and connect with us. But Gary, what, what are we talking about? I know it's, it's about, we've talked about customer intelligence platform, but I think we're trying to understand here today, what is it that retailers really need to make key decisions in growing their business, right? From a customer centric point of view, right? Yeah, I think retailers have been drowning in data for a long time. But the situation is getting uh, worse almost by the day as big data continues to grow. And I think, you know, Mary, you and I have been in the space for for a long time. I know you started when you were in grade school. (laughs) Um, But, you know, for years, we've been seeing retailers grappling with data. And, you know, thinking back to my time as a retailer and and early on in, in the whole world of loyalty, you know, that that initial focus through all that data far more limited than what we have today, was simply around understanding best customers. Mm -hmm. And then as we became comfortable with that, it grew to, you know, some kind of basic segmentation. And then understanding, you know, from that, you know, new customers, existing customers, lapsing customers, that type thing. But I I think we've entered a whole new world here today Mm -hmm. with big data, real-time data, and the... I think benefit today is that we've got new tools to work with. We've got AI, we've got machine learning that I think enable solution providers, tech companies, retailers to really come at this from a whole new direction. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, when I think back to uh, the beginnings, which I was fortunately involved in, uh, I think one of the reasons that we had to approach things from the standpoint of looking at sales or looking at recency was that desk space was at a premium and to try to make make sense of the data like you said uh, we'd have to bring them together into something that sort of felt like and sounded like what a household might be and that was a big undertaking just being able to do that and grouping people together by things that were similar saved on disk space for one thing 
and it gave a descriptive value to something that otherwise was just bits and bytes. The, the challenge I do see is that the approach we took in the 90s of using RFM as pretty much the, excuse me, recency, frequency, and margin or sales as the ways to cut and slice that data into buckets of people um, has perpetuated. And it's a look back approach. It's always looking backwards. And while that can tell you something, it doesn't tell you everything about the people that are really behind that information. So now we have way more information than we used to. You're absolutely right about that. But I still think it's kind of akin to um, you have all the wood stacked in your backyard and you got wires piled up and you might even have some pipes and trying to bring that together and make a nice house that runs, you know, that, that requires some expertise. It requires vision and it also requires the ability to look forward. And so what we really need the AI piece to be able to do is take that look back and based upon conditions, both in the store and outside of the store, project what might happen next or what might the next best thing to be. And, and yet we still have retailers that are either operating on systems that are still using RFM exclusively, relying on segmentation exclusively, and we no longer have the constraint of the data that kind of was the reason behind that originally. So, so, so I agree with what you're saying, you know, that, that we can use new tools today to, to do a look ahead as well as a look behind. But I think there's also another dimension to this, that it's possible today to take all this incoming big data you know, related to a customer that, that can be attributed back to that individual customer and bring that together in a way to really synthesize it, to take all this complex data, bring it together and synthesize almost a, a score or a composite, right, in, into maybe one metric that reflects a lot of different things, but helps the retailer distill all this down to a degree, simplify it, right? Instead of having to look at 100 different things and every retailer looking at 100 different things, you know, bring this down to a, a synthesized sort of composite yes. that, that the retailers can use to gauge success. And, th and there's an advantage in that individualized composite view, which um, is lost when we look at segments. Off, the best example is the elderly or maybe rich and young but retiree, you might have a limited income. You might have multiple generations residing in a household. So it's a big household, but it's kind of fixed in terms of what it can purchase and provide. They're as loyal as the individual that's going in that's a foodie that's buying all fresh and off the charts, awesome new fangled, you know, compressed avocado oil or whatever. So you've got two different types of households, if you will, both loyal. But if you brought them into the more traditional way that, that the big data has been crunched down to these segmentations, which is still happening quite regularly, that loyal person, that, that fixed income will fall. They will fall by the wayside and they'll be lost and they won't be recognized for actually what is consistent loyalty over time. The beauty of a composite at the individual level is that you can look at more than just the RFM. You can look at how, you know, what the time between transactions might be, what the coverage around the store is, you know, what, how often are they uh, adventuring around with uh, private label products, which is another element 
that to a retailer is yep. beneficial. So there are you know more facets we can look at because we have more data, but also by looking at the individual, as we know, people are all different. It's kind of like DNA. It's kind of like being able to, or a fingerprint. Right. So, so Shaker, I would imagine with your background, you know, working on the Human Genome Project, Bell Labs, signal processing, et cetera, this is your your world. Uh, you know, how give us your perspective on how you know all of these this disparate data that can ultimately be attributed back to an individual. How can all these signals be brought together? Is it possible to create a composite uh, type of score? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think. Definitely. I mean, that's what we've been working on, you know, uh, at, at Bird's Eye here for the past couple of years. And we're working on something we call a kick score, right? So I think the idea here is, I think there's two things. One is uh, simplification from a decision-making process, right? Can Give me something that's easy for me to understand and yet is complex enough that it devolves into something that I can teach a machine or an AI to interpret the breakdown of that number and what does that mean in terms of my strategy with that particular customer. Keep going back to this, Gary, but it's kind of like the iPhone moment, right? Where you have a device that's so simple to use and so intuitive to use, you get it, but the un- what makes up that device is incredibly complex and sophisticated technology yep. under the hood. And you don't need to necessarily expose that wiring for somebody who has to make these decisions, right? They just want something, they want a button to press, they want to understand, do I press the red, green, orange button? You know, which one do I press? Make it easy for them to act on the data, but what has to, what the wiring behind it and the complexity can be completely hidden. And that's something that we can train, you know, these AI systems to really use that data to leverage it, drive the strategy and the automation. So it empowers the retailer too completely. to do that because now they are not burdened with having to try to figure this out, which today they still are. And you know, we talk to retailers all the time and I think the one that I get really, really violent nods on are they all looking more reports than they ever want to, right? And at the end of the day, they still don't know what to do. And I well, think- that's the irony of the whole segmentation movement. And I'm not trying to pick on segmentation. It's still got a place. But yeah. it's, the idea behind it was to simplify. And what it ended up doing was creating more reports. And yeah. especially when you get to personalization and targeting, you couldn't just take gold customers and say, have at it. Because gold customers is really just, they spend a lot, really, and they came in recently. You know, their sensitivity to promotion, their interaction with different channels of communication, their tendency to buy loyal products, all that stuff wasn't packed into that segmentation and, and targeting became a huge challenge. It wasn't it wasn't an omni score. You're talking about an omni score. Yeah, and I think Barry, you can also look at it as a doctor-patient relationship, right? If you start segmenting patients into buckets and then giving them a treatment based on the segment that they're in, you're gonna kill a lot of people. <laughs> you, <Yeah. know? laughs> you you have to, I mean, there's a bunch of metrics that you're getting for each patient, and you know, you call them whatever KPIs, vital statistics, you know, you got your EKG, EEG, all these readings that are attributed to a patient, but the diagnosis and what you do next is based on that data. Now, obviously in this case, the doctor holds the information on figuring out how to combine this and come up with a treatment that's specific to the customer, right? And I think for the longest time, just like Mary said, we've 
we've gone, taken the easy route. Let's just bucket these people, all these people yeah. with this. Let's bucket them here. Let's bucket these people here. And it's been an easy approach. But I think as data is, as, as systems evolve, as we have the ability to understand, I think, you know, this whole segmentation approach is starting to go the way of the dinosaur, right? I think we really need to start looking at how do we get more smarter systems that can look at each shopper and then figure out a trajectory of growth for that shopper. And I just want to say something else about easy. Um, it's, it's, it was meant to be easy. That was the intention of it. For the companies that provide the segmentation, they may charge an awful lot for the benefit of those. They may have massive models. They may have big machines that are running over a weekend trying to figure it out. So it's, it's meant to be easy, but it's overly complicated. And the unfortunate thing is the result still is insufficient, as is evidenced by the amount of uh, reports and extraction of data that retailers are compelled to have to do to figure out, okay, great, you're a gold foodie, but that's a that's a very generic that's like saying you're male you know i mean it, <laughs> there's a lot more to you than just that right um and i think your analogy is good about the you know the doctor and you know i was thinking of studies when you were talking like people who generalize based upon some study of you know 100 or 1000 people you know it's only as good as the doctor that's reading the data and reading the the kpis and so thank god we are not in um, a field that, you know, it's life or death. It's not, but it is about recognizing the value of the individual. This is all about the customer. It's about yeah. nothing else. Yeah. yeah. And, and the reality is all that segmentation was about everything else, but really the customer. Yeah. So I, I think customer segmentation was a construct created, you know, at the time that, that was really driven by the systems that we had to support it, right? It was the best. It was, thing a, de- it was a disk space limitation. But, but, but in a world of big data and in a world of AI and machine learning now, it takes us into an entirely new world where we really can work at the individual customer level. Maybe before we go much further, there's another analogy here, and I like the the doctor patient analogy. But to help our listeners understand, uh, you know, I, I think the sort of ubiquitous FICO score that's used in the financial industry to, you know, every individual has their own FICO score, right? Based upon your income, your lending experience, you know, again, a lot of factors make that up. I I think that may be a good analogy for retailers or listeners to keep in mind here. This is really what we're talking about. Each individual person has their own score. But Shaker, what you mentioned a few minutes ago is what I think is really exciting. While retailers can take this composite score that we're talking about, like bird's eyes kick score, and use that as their report card and you know evaluate different marketing programs, initiatives they may run against that. Did it lift you know, some people's kick scores? Did it decline others and so on? What excites me is the ability to use the tools we have today and again, specifically AI and machine learning in these models, to let the machine deconstruct that score, to understand what the drivers are, learn from that, and and automate choosing the right strategy for each individual customer relative to promotions, offers, 
information and so on that is going to positively impact that score. And all of this being automated. That's that's the world that I've dreamed about for the last two decades, right? Having, you know, lived my life in a lot of this. And it's just really exciting to see this beginning to come to life. Right. Yeah. And I think I'm oh, sorry, go ahead, Shaker. No, no, and I think, you know, the age of the store-wide markdown labels that they go through, the operational cost and labor that they have to go through. I mean, it's just it doesn't make any sense with the amount of data that's available and the compute that's available where you can simplify your approach to pricing and then have and deal with each customer at the level that they're at to figure out how to grow it as opposed to just be driven by this these markdown TPR labels all, all across the store. I, I think I know I think and I think that's where e-commerce companies who are not burdened with the same operational lift, you know, of doing this uh, store-wide pricing changes on a nightly basis. They're obviously in a much better position to take advantage of something like this and really disrupt the market, right? And I think, uh, I mean, I'm excited about the fact that we can take these kick scores, devolve it, and actually teach a, an AI to come up with suggestions. Always have manual oversight, right, into the process, because I don't think anybody wants a HAL computer here. But, you know, I always have a manual oversight. But I think that, you know, I, I really feel for retailers who are burdened, you know, like a CMO who's looking at tons of reports, but just doesn't know what to do next. And it's like a deer in headlights sometimes, you know. Um, and I think it's time for the industry to kind of step back and say, what are we trying to do here? What do who are we affecting? I mean, who is the, because the end goal is to give the better customer a better experience. How do we engage this customer better? How do we provide greater value? Because that's how we earn their trust and earn their loyalty. And I think it's, it's a time where we got to get down and say, hey, we can actually deal with each customer one at a time, as opposed to putting them in these groups. And I think it's, I think the time is here for something like this. So, so I had flashes when Gary was talking about you know, this fantasy of being able to devolve the composite where necessary, but not all, you know, you won't have to do it as a, as a matter of just getting the next thing done when you want to bring it down a level, but also that the levers uh, adjust on a per individual basis. And I, in flashes of offer definition screens were going through my head as he's talking. And I'm thinking back what's one of the best things about bird's eye and you shaker is that you and your colleagues did not originate in this space and what that allowed for was fresh thinking you were not burdened by history and i, and I don't mean that i love i love history and, it, and it's shaped an awful lot of things but when it comes to this topic when it comes to how do i take data and render it back to people much of the habit that has formed came out of data constrictions way back when in processing power. Mm -hmm. And it became baked into the solutions that are available. So, you know, I think back to the days in the nineties where I try to explain to people how you would, how would I know people that are shopping every category except my deli department? It was like, well, you do this and then this and then this and then this. And you had to ask, you had to not only ask the question, but know what kind of answer you wanted in order to be able to even posit it. With AI, we all know that the potential's there to have a flag just go up and say, hey, you've got a great customer, but they're not buying Delhi, there's an opportunity. But the the actual application of it, show, show me somebody who's actually doing that today. 
and and they're still not doing that. They're still back, yep. you know, you know, writing these long yeah. queries that are based upon uh, rules that are all historically based. I completely agree, Mary. And I think also it's also also the gap between knowing and doing, right? So I think you know, there's one side is you know, what can I, what the, what can the data tell me in terms of that's something that's useful and it's intelligent. And then how do I convert that into a doing, right? How do I execute on it? And I think a lot of people also struggle between that gap between, you know, knowing and doing. And in, ma- in many cases, the group that knows is not the group that does. Correct. Right. Correct. And, and right. you know, for a long time, the retailers need the information. What we're calling data is sometimes information. Sometimes it's just data. They need that because they have to run their business by it. They've got to be able to explain and justify things. Right. But when you ask them, what is your pain point around um, this long, valuable thing called, I don't, I want to call it a loyalty program, although that's changed over time, but whatever prompted you to get a customer to identify themselves, which is still at the heart of all this, right? Because without that, there's much, much less we're going to be able to know and predict. When you ask them, what would you really like? Would you like a system that's going to look back or would you like a system that's going to tell you what to do next? So what that my customer isn't buying in Delhi? How am I going to resolve that? Tell me what to do next. And taking away all that logistical and analytical and operational challenge of just trying to get the data into groups that make some sort of sense alleviates that and opens up the opportunity, one, for a system to make recommendations, but two, for retailers to start looking forward, which I know is a passion area for Gary is about where we are today, where we where the retailer needs to go next in this incredibly competitive, complex environment. They got to be focused yeah. on the end game. Yeah, right. Yeah, because I, I I think looking forward and not all that far forward. I think it's this space that is really going to be the battleground, you know, over the next five years for the grocery industry. Absolutely. Right. There there is a battle already underway. Most retailers haven't realized it yet. And really two fronts, you know, one is in many markets, competition has already gone stealth, right? We know many, many retailers, regional, national retailers that are leveraging personalization tools, conducting campaigns every month, if not even more often uh, for their shoppers. And because those are personalized, they're stealth, right? The, The competing retailer doesn't know what's going on, but more so. You know, if if you look at what's happening in the industry, I'm in the middle of writing another uh, article that that just sort of flashed in my head yesterday that I saw a study that alternate grocers now, companies like Amazon, Walmart, Walgreens, et cetera, now have greater market share than traditional supermarkets. And, you know, you look at that, then you look at what an Instacart's doing. You look at a, a GoPuff that, you know, has just got almost a nine or $10 billion valuation in funding. And some of these different uh, ghost uh, grocers that are coming into the market, leveraging micro-fulfillment, they don't have a physical store presence. That's right. right. And but meanwhile, the models things... they're using are still based upon a physical store. And yeah. so it's no longer about not buying a deli. You just disappeared on me. Where did yeah. you go, customer? It's a much that, bigger challenge. That, that's yeah, right. But, but all these new entrants are playing in the digital world, right? They're all right. digital native companies. And physical traditional retailers can't just sit back and say, well, I've got my store. Because even the physical store is merging into this digital world. 
And retailers that don't understand this, that don't understand the data, that don't understand the tools available and what this is enabling, like what we're talking about today, you know, a composite score, automating strategies at the individual customer level, they're going to be left behind really fast. You know, we used to talk about back in the old days, we talk when it was just a physical world, right? And we would look at a customer's database and we... Um, I worked for one of the first companies that did this. And, you know, with Gary, I remember we named these these segments and, and the very low of the lows was dross. We, you know, we had gold on the high end and we had dross on the low end. Another pejorative term was cherry picker, you know, or, you know, these were just not nice terms, you know, and fire your customer, which, you know, still has some legs to it. But it's a much more complicated discussion today because what can look like if you're just looking at in-store data and you're not taking any of these other signals, which Shaker, you talk about a lot, signals. If I don't look at these other signals, I can misconstrue you as dross. And in reality, what you are is a customer that was, was loyal for a time. And one of these categories, I mean, any category could lose a customer for sure, but certainly any of those shelf-stable products, subscription-based stuff. I mean, you gotta start, you know, the data has changed and therefore, the interpretation needs to be much more refined and richer. You can't take an old model and force right. it into this new world. It really requires taking in a lot more of these signals and understanding them on par with what's happening in the store. And I think they're still treated as kind of like adi additional data. You know, it, it's kind of secondary. And really, mm -hmm. it has become primary. And, and I think, you know, the, the notion of just simply identifying a cherry picker and being done with it and saying, well, we're going to fire you is, is not really understanding what happened to that customer, what they were thinking and why right. they left. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, it's time to look deeper, right? Mm -hmm. Like time to look deeper than segments, understand why people do what they do from the data the best you can. I think it also gives, uh, you know, retailers a way of figuring out differences in you know just markets right so they, they, may, they may be doing well in some markets and not so well in other markets maybe because they have they have competition there or maybe it's just a store environment and sometimes a lot of these retailers grow by acquisitions and when they're acquiring new banners and they're including them you know it's also what's the feeling the customer gets i mean i walk into some stores and i'm like i don't think i'll ever come shop here again so it's not because right this aren't great i mean so clearly the data can't fix a lot of those things but it can at least point start pointing to hey there could be problems here more than just you know pricing and promotion right absolutely a deeper problem here and i think that's one of the things that you know i keep telling retailers we're not a panacea. I mean, this, this number is great for you, but it's for it's really for you to start looking at things a little deeper and seeing what might be causing this beyond just customer behavior. Because if you have some stores that are that let's say have customers with lower kick scores, maybe on average compared to other stores, it may just be that you know your store manager and, and the employees aren't trained well, and they're just that, not and that doing used to be a topic of discussion. Yeah. You know that. I think um, I know that retailers do engage in survey data, but there was a, a period of time, and I don't know if Gary, you recall this, but there was sort of this separate, there was a separation between survey data and shopper data yeah. or customer data. And the argument was, well, it's not a one for one. Well, 
fair enough, but those are the same people or some subset of those people that are filling it out. It's not like they're completely alien to each other. It's actually the same individual right. or some portion of it. So this is where I think the doctor, a good doctor, shaker, the good doctor shaker, uh, comes to play where you can get a data scientist who is looking at all the complexities, reading the medical journals, reading all the case studies and writing a prescription, if you will, that, that, you know, provides pointers um, that is as holistic as the retailer can make it. So give the survey data, give promotional data. And another mm. thing that nobody spends time really capturing and yet every retailer is doing it, you know, give that information so that those signals can be interpreted. Yeah. So, you know, there, there's another dimension to this whole idea of a composite score or, you know, like bird's eyes kick score here that I think is really powerful. And it's, it's linking that composite score to this notion of a customer intelligence platform, right? And uh, the analogy there is think of that platform as the brain for that retail organization. Using those, that score now creates, in my mind, sort of one version of the truth that can be used across the retail organization to evaluate everything that's being done and brought into the decision-making process across different departments uh, across the organization. Obviously, a lot of this has to do with marketing, right? But, you know, there's certainly a lot of impact here to merchandising, you know, leveraging those kick scores or, or composite scores into product assortment decisions, pricing decisions, promotion decisions, et cetera. It can be brought into operations. It can be brought into, you know, HR. It can be brought into management, right? You know, if I'm running a retail company, I need to know more than just how many boxes of cornflakes I sold. In, the vendor, in vendor relations, you know, just being yeah, able to have a real conversation with your, your vendor. Yeah, so, so I, I think, you know, that, that composite score becomes sort of the, the key health metric right, at the individual customer, but that health metric is used all across the organization. There's one focus for the entire organization, and, and that, Mary, as you well know, has been a massive obstacle in this space ever since, you know, early on. Yeah, and uh, we did, we did our, you know, we did a lot of effort to try to get education out there around using gold, silver, bronze, but just naming, the, the reason I like a number is because a number, everybody understands a number. Everybody yep. understands, you know, in school, if you get 100% and with a little smiley face, you're rocking. Everybody understands the number that the thing that happened with segmentations, um, not only was they were uh, insufficient, so you ended up with multiple segmentations, ones that were talking about lifestyle, ones that were talking right. about whatever. So you end up having way more than a simple, you know, five leveled whatever. Um, but the naming also became its own yep. thing. Yeah. And and so I, I'm sure that executives are like, OK, so what is it this year? Is it, you know, is it premium? Is it gold? Is it what you, is diamond? You know, are they jewels? Are they birds? What is it? Um, whereas a number is a number. And the other thing is, and this is important to stress, AI gives us the ability to validate and recalibrate our our learning as we go. Most of the segmentation that I'm alluding to, yes, they're models, but they're not self-learning models. And right. so, you know, they don't adjust as, as you know, things change. They don't recognize that a prediction that was made was way off and recalibrate. 
we're living in a world in which that's possible. So that, you know, you don't have to worry about, is it diamond or is it, right. you, know, you know, whatever, but I know that it's as right as it can be at this moment and that it will continue to self-adjust. And the more information I give it, the more That's exacting right. it will be. Yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to see if I can tie this all up. So we're talking about uh, the retailer getting access to a composite score that allows them to measure the quality of a shopper to them, and then use that score to, you know, for trend analysis, for impacts on promotions. And essentially that number then becomes that an alternate identity of that shopper, really, from a retailer's perspective, where they're looking at that number and say, what can I do to move this number up? You know, why is this going down? And it really becomes, you know, it's almost like a, you know, this is their blood pressure machine, right? Let, let me just put it on you. What's the numbers I get? And that's going to help me to figure out what I need to do in terms of, you know, getting you back to stable numbers. So and everybody from the executive down to the store manager yeah. down to the cashier can know, know where they stand. And the customer with fully anonymized, safe, you know, secure private data has the right um, influences and incentives coming to them to also bring up their score. In fact, there, there might be reason to provide some a glimpse into that for the customer themselves so that they can get a self-diagnosis or whatever. But it gives everybody a common language around yeah. which budgeting, forecasting, you know, assortment planning, marketing can occur where the customer is the centerpiece. Yeah. And I think, you know, as we move into a more hybrid retail world post-COVID where you're going to see greater online sales, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot more uh, digital engagement and instead of just in-store purchases, I think the need to have a uniform marketing in a customer-centric approach across those channels becomes more and more important. Otherwise, you're going to find that you know e-commerce-only retailers who become essentially digital natives are going to leapfrog yes. the competition in terms of being able to deal with their customers, right? And so somebody like an Instacart, who who is essentially a digital native from a from a from a platform standpoint, is going to be far more adept at using this data to engage their customers than somebody who's doing only brick and mortar and not using any of this data. Yeah, and the tragedy there, uh, not to pick on Instacart per se, is that they they might win that race, but that doesn't mean that the customer has won in the end. You know, what we're talking about really is being able to anticipate needs and wants. You know, I could give probably and I'm sure you can too, countless examples of where I have had a, a suboptimal experience with a digital you know, retailer, but because of their speed of delivery, because of you know, the ability to, I don't know, refund, or because there are any recommendations whatsoever, uh, it's okay. It's, it's, it's enough. You know, I, if I was a retailer, I wouldn't want to be enough. I'd want to be be this, you know, I'd want to be their go-to place. So that's the tragedy of allowing, you know, pure force of technology and logistics to win out over other things that are equally important to a customer, I think. Man, we've been talking for 40 minutes. 
Yeah, but it's been fun as usual with Mary. It's always fun. Uh, and, you know, these are great topics. And I'm sure we can do one more episode, Mary. I think we've got more stuff to talk about. Around <laughs> I have this. more in me. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, we just evolved as we spoke because I think ideas flash in each other's heads. But listen, I think it's a great topic. I think this is where the future is going. And to get, uh, you know, the input from people like Gary and Mary who spent their life in this industry is pretty amazing. So I hope you guys are having a great time listening to this. You know, we'll be back again next week, folks. But thanks so much for listening. Thanks for following us. We're excited. Well, I think I don't know if you mentioned it, Gary, but we're one of the top grocery podcasts out there. So yes, we got listed in some list out there saying that we're one of the top 12 or 15 grocery podcasts, which is pretty exciting. And I think Mary's a lot of it is because of you. Oh my word. Well, I am so flattered <laughs> and honored to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So it's, anyway, it's been so much fun. Uh, Gary, you guys have a great weekend and we'll see you soon and talk to you soon. Another episode. All, all right, folks, you guys stay safe, stay healthy, get your vaccines and we'll see you all out and about pretty soon. Terrific. Thank you. Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at The Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com. Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is Gary, signing off. <laughs> <laughs>